Hello and welcome to Truth in Journalism, a radio broadcast dedicated to applying the Word of God to current events. Well, today on Truth in Journalism, we're going to talk about social engineering. Our story is by Evan Mielens of the Nashville Tennessean and is entitled, German Family in Tennessee Faces Deportation, Everything We Know About the Case. In 2006, Uwe Romaika and his wife, Hannelore Romaika, began homeschooling their children in Germany because of their evangelical Christian faith. Because homeschooling is not permitted for religious reasons, they were fined and their children were made to attend public schools. In order to homeschool their five children, the Romaikas moved to Tennessee in August 2008 and settled in Morristown between Johnson City and Knoxville. They have had two children born in America, both of whom are American citizens as a result. In January 2010, immigration judge Lawrence O. Berman approved the Romaika's application for asylum, saying that the family has a well-founded fear of persecution by the German government for homeschooling. According to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, asylum may be granted to people who have been persecuted or fear they will be persecuted on account of race, religion, nationality, and or membership in a particular social group or political opinion. The U.S. Department of Justice appealed the decision. The U.S. Board of Immigration Appeals revoked the family's asylum status in May 2012 and issued a final order for their removal. The Homeschool Legal Defense Association represented the Romica family at their appeal to the U.S. Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals. A three-judge panel ruled unanimously against the family, writing that they failed to show that Germany's enforcement of its school attendance law amounts to persecution against them. The Supreme Court denied rehearing the Romaika's appeal. According to Syracuse University, nearly 2 million people applied for asylum in the U.S. from 2001 through 2022. Just over 600,000 were granted asylum in that time period, according to Homeland Security. From 2013 to 2022, about 15,000 people from Europe were granted asylum. None of those appear to be from Germany. Asia has had the most people granted asylum in the United States, with nearly 120,000 people from 2013 to 2022. According to HSLDA, the family has been allowed to stay by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security under order of supervision in indefinite deferred action status. Deferred action is a, quote, discretionary determination to defer the deportation of an individual as an act of prosecutorial discretion, according to U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. Deferred action does not confer lawful status on an individual, and Homeland Security is permitted to terminate or renew a grant of deferred action at any time based at its discretion. The Romica family says that they were told during a routine check-in on September 6th that they had four weeks to secure passports to return to Germany. Since then, their story has been circulated through local media and has been picked up by a few national outlets, including conservative-leaning outlets like Fox News and The Washington Times. Since they were told they would have to leave, the HSLDA has set up a petition that has received over 56,000 signatures as of publication. The petition says it is addressed to the Biden administration, which it asks to reinstate the Romica's deferred status and save them from deportation. Congress is considering a bill that would grant the Romica's permanent status as legal residents with a possible pathway to citizenship. U.S. Representative Diana Harshberger, Republican Tennessee, filed the bill on September 12, and it's being reviewed by the House Judiciary Committee. When asked by the Tennessean to provide comment and answer several questions about the Romica's case, U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement responded with the following statement. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement Enforcement and Removal Operations conducts removals of individuals without a lawful basis to remain in the United States, including at the order of immigration judges with the Justice Department's Executive Office for Immigration Review. ERO reviews each case as appropriate. 
According to HSLDA, Yuva Ramaika, patriarch of the family, is a piano accompanist at Carson Newman University. There are seven Ramaika children, two of whom are married to American citizens, according to HSLDA. So the Romica family is facing deportation. They don't want to be deported, but hey, that's where we are. And unfortunately, this is sending us a very clear message about the kind of nation that our entrenched overlords wish to create. Because here's the thing. Smart people, I'm not saying wise people, but smart people who control immigration policy always and only use their discretion to permit people to immigrate who will assimilate into the culture they want. Please note well, I didn't say who will assimilate into the culture they have. I said assimilate into the culture they want. Immigration is social engineering, and anyone who says different is either stupid or selling you something. Or both. Let's see an example, shall we? 1 Kings chapter 16. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nemat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Skipping a little bit ahead, we read this in chapters 18 and 19. Chapter 18, verse 1. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in another. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? Yes, he replied, Go tell your master, Elijah is here. Now, skipping ahead, we go to where Elijah and Ahab meet, and we read this. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. What we see in these passages over and over again is that Jezebel brought Baal and Asherah worship back to Israel. In fact, the only times the Bible uses the term prophets of Baal is in relation to the actions of Jezebel. And we never see the term priests of Baal before Jezebel arrives, but the formal worship of Baal is dealt with by Josiah uh, later. Jezebel is widely viewed by commentators and theologians as the person who introduced or perhaps reintroduced Baal worship to Israel, and it's generally accepted that she imported the prophets and priests of Baal and Asherah who ate at her table and served her and her gods. Jezebel was the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, who was the high priest of Baal, 
as in most of the ancient world, the king and high priest were one in the same role. That's why Roman Caesars were called Pontifex Maximus. Israel was, if not unique, certainly the rarity in the ancient Mediterranean world by not having their kings be the high priests. So, to Jezebel, it was obvious and clear that one of the first things she should do when she became queen of Israel was bring in nearly a thousand prophets and priests uh, from home who would worship Baal and Asherah. Not only that, she needed to thoroughly and ruthlessly exterminate all the prophets of the Lord who were in the northern kingdom. Why? Because she wanted to transform Israel from a henotheistic, idol-worshipping Yahweh society into a polytheistic, Baalist society, which is a fancy technical way of saying she wanted to change the gods of Israel. And Jezebel, whatever else you could say about her, she was shrewd. She understood that social engineering takes planning, effort, and execution. Not the head-choppy-offy kind of execution, but the carrying-out-of-plans kinds of execution. I mean, in this case both there, there's some overlap there but you get the point and and it really isn't all that hard to engineer society if you have huge amounts of money and can murder people who oppose you and can grant favors to those who serve you and you might be thinking sure lukey you're right you can change the institutions but that doesn't change how people think yeah there were a lot of sycophants and hangers on who just went along with jezebel because it brought them power and wealth but it really didn't change hearts and minds to this i say things take time no, you're, you're right, imaginary objector. Just importing pagans and killing God's servants doesn't change the minds of people whose minds are already made up. But you're creating the conditions to bring up future generations in a world where Baal worship is the dominant form of religion and the worship of the Lord is nowhere to be found. How long do you think that the silent, powerless majority of Yahweh worshipers will be able to remain the majority when their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren are growing up in a world surrounded by Baal worship where all social reinforcement mechanisms like power, punishment, and politics favor Baal and Yahweh worshipers are executed? How, how long? Now you might say, ah, but Lukey-poo... God always preserves a remnant. Okay, sure, but is that all we want? Do we only want a remnant? Because Elijah didn't just want a remnant. He wanted Israel to stop wavering between two opinions and make up their minds once for all whether to worship Yahweh or Baal. And clearly, he didn't want them to worship Baal. Christians shouldn't be satisfied with a remnant. And perhaps... You want to push harder and say, but Luke, that's not in our hands. If God is pleased to preserve a remnant, then who do we think we are to talk back to God? Okay. And by the way, friends, this, this is an argument I've heard. I've heard people make these arguments. If you think that nothing is in our hands and that our nation is entirely in God's hands, then you need to go read your Bible again. Revelation speaks about Jesus walking among the lampstands, and he'll snuff out a lampstand that keeps guttering and sputtering. If you don't want your lampstand removed, then you need to act right. And also, God has not promised to keep a remnant in America. I don't remember reading that in the Bible anywhere. There's no single place where the words normally translated as remnant refer to a group of Gentiles saved by grace to persist throughout all generations. And the only Two uses of the word remnant in the New Testament are in Romans, where Paul is quoting the Old Testament and is referring to the Jews saved by grace. So there is no promise that there will always be a remnant. But even if, for sake of argument, 
let, let's just say that I missed a verse. And maybe there is this hyper-obscure passage that I missed, and there's one place where you could read that God promises that he will preserve a remnant of believers in all the Gentile nations where Christianity has taken root. Let's say I missed a verse or two, and, and, and you could make that case. It's possible. I've made mistakes. Even if that's the case, why should we want that? Shouldn't we want as many of our friends, family, neighbors, and co-workers to be saved as possible? Don't we want as many people worshiping and serving God as possible? If we're just going to sit on our hunkers and say, well, God will preserve a remnant, how do you think he's going to do that? And if your answer is that God doesn't need you to spread the gospel, then you might as well be dead because you're no earthly good. But all of this, brothers and sisters, all of this is deeply relevant to this conversation. And also beside the point. The point is that the godless entrenched bureaucrats in our country have been weaponizing immigration policy to create America as they desire it to be by transforming it. They wish to destroy the America that is and make a new America in their image. Now, we sadly do not have time to go into all the details or even the most relevant details of what immigration policies are and why, but here's what you want to pay attention to. Law-abiding German immigrants who have been here paying taxes for 15 years legally who have assimilated into American society, who love Christ and want to utilize America's freedom to raise their children as Christians in a nation that the Supreme Court said was a Christian nation, these Germans are being kicked out while Border Patrol fist bumps illegal immigrants. We are witnessing social engineering, and all social engineering is theological engineering, but that's another story for another day. We are witnessing our government actively attempting to use its authority in immigration to change this country from what it was into something else. Again, it's not entirely clear what that something else is, but if I had to guess by what I see, not just in immigration, but in all policy decisions... They wish to transform this nation into a land of godless criminals who are wage slave serfs addicted to pills to stop us from feeling feelings, sterilizing ourselves and murdering whatever children might drag the compliant wage slave women away from the drudgery of being a strong, independent, powerful woman at the office. They want a nation beholden to their corporate overlords living in some kind of educational, administrative, technocratic government complex. And they wish to make this permanent by eliminating the middle class and the values intrinsic to a thriving middle class. And most importantly, by eliminating a godly middle class because godly people have higher allegiances than to the party and to the state and to the ideology. Long story short, they want to change this nation. We are witnessing the change. We are witnessing the policies being enacted to transform this nation into a progressive utopia. God help us. Long story short, pray for your country because we are living in interesting times. I hope and pray we will, and I hope you'll join us again next time for another exciting episode of Truth in Journalism. Thank you, and may God bless your day to his glory.